So, like I had just talked about, um, we have a strong sense of in the next 10 to 15 years, just, you know, where we're going, where the next generation is. And, you know, we, we had a long conversation Friday night about, you know, if you grew up in church or if you've been around church culture, I mean, church for the last 20 years have been trying to figure out how to get young people to come to church. <laughs> and, and really what that was is it was trying to understand millennials and reach millennials. But really, honestly, I mean, millennials, I mean, that's... Uh, the millennials are the old people now, all right? <laughs> Which, if you're older than a millennial, just read between the lines. Anyway, uh, but Gen Z and Gen Alpha, they're, they're on the way, and they're, they're in their 20s, and they're the next leaders. They're the next, um, you know, people who are going to take the church. And so we've really tried to pay attention to what Gen Z cares about and what Gen Alpha, the questions they're asking. And they're so good asking questions. In fact, if you're a parent in this room, you, you know that. I mean, they're talking about things and they know about things and they were, they were exposed to things so much earlier on and so they're, they're worried about things and they're asking questions and we wanna, be, we wanna be a safe place where it's safe to ask those questions. Does that make sense? We wanna be a safe place where we can have conversations and here's the thing. When it comes to these conversations, I feel like, and again, I've grown up in the church, so I have a sense of this. I feel like for the longest time, the church felt like they had to have all the answers. And sometimes in that journey, we gave the wrong answers. Because we felt like we had to give a answer, so we were like determined to come up with the right answer. And we used a lot of phrases like the Bible says, when really a lot of these things, the Bible doesn't say anything about it. But... That's not what the Bible is there for. The Bible is there to be a tool to help us have good spirit-led conversations. And through the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, I think that we can use Scripture as a tool, but we can also use prayer and experience and relationships with one another to figure some things out. And so what you're going to see is over the next year, we have gone through and we have gone to many conferences and had many conversations trying to understand what Gen Z and Gen Alpha want to talk about. And we've used our teenagers as an experiment to try to figure this out. And so over this next few months, uh, if you want interesting sermon series, this is the place to come because we're going to talk about anxiety for the next two months. Then we're going to talk about sex. And then we're going to talk about politics. And we're going to talk about how to love ourselves. We're going to talk about mental health. We're going to talk about depression. We're going to talk about all kinds of things that have almost been taboo and questions you weren't supposed to ask. But here's the other part. And this is really, really important to us. If we don't know the answer, we're not going to make the answer up. Because we don't think that it's all about having the answer. We think it's about having a safe place to have these conversations. Does that make sense? And so that's what we're going to begin to talk about. And today we're going to talk about anxiety. We're going to talk about anxiety for the month of April and the month of May. And I wanted to start this conversation off. I'm going to be gone next week and Pastor Mike's going to be preaching. But I wanted to start this conversation off the right way and, and to almost just address the issue, almost address the elephant in the room. And it is an elephant in the room because did you know that in 2019, there was a national study done on just Americans and two out of three Americans said that they were anxious about something. Now, Put the dots together. Two out of three Americans said they were anxious about something, and that was in 2019. 
A couple things have happened since then, eh? Right? And so, and then there was another, another study by the World Health Organization. By who? And they said, and last year they did a study, and they said that in the year 2021, across the world, that anxiety and stress had increased across the world by 25%. Now, that is not a good statistic for Americans because did you, I don't know if you knew this or not, we are the most stress-ridden, anxious, depressed country in the world. Yay, America. <laughs> and then there was another study done in 2019 on Americans, again, that, that, that uh, was uh, focused on college students and high school students. And did you know that in this tens of thousands of high schoolers and, and college kids that they looked at, so ranging from the age of 15 to about the age of 24, that 91%, 91% of that generation said that they were anxious and that they dealed with anxiety and that sometimes it was even crippling. So here's what that tells me. Even in this room or anyone who's watching online, that probably means that in this room right now, there are one of two kinds of people. You are either a Michael or you are a Kate Davis. Okay? Now, let me explain a little bit of what, what I mean by that, okay? If you haven't met my wife, Kate, my wife, Kate, was in the cafe this morning. She's preached up here before, and um, she, she has a, a very proud accolade that the sermon that she preached is our most watched sermon ever on YouTube that's ever existed, and she's very proud of that. It's just because she has a family of like 45, but anyway... Uh, but there are one of two kinds of people. You're either a Michael or you're a Kate. Now, if you are a Kate, this is the, what a Kate looks like, okay? Kate is not anxious about anything, okay? Kate's fine. Kate's very optimistic. Kate, Kate says things like this. Kate says things like, it'll work out. Kate says things like, well, what's worrying gonna do? Kate says things like, you don't know that. And Kate says things like, stop crying. <laughs> now, if you're a Michael, okay, if you're a Michael in the room, I'm not an optimistic person. I'm what they call a pessimist, okay? I think of all the things that could go wrong. Uh, I, I worry, I doubt. Everything that I do has to be to the very best. If I can't do it to my very best, if it doesn't go the very best, I, I'm determined that it did not go well, it did not turn out right. I look at all the details, I meticulously think and overthink every single thing. I go through every scenario, think of everything that could go wrong, and I'm a fixer. I love to fix things, and I need to fix things. And so if you're a Michael in the room, you, me, we say things. Things like, I got a bad feeling about this. <laughs> yeah, I want to hear a lot of amens during this section of the sermon, okay? Uh, we say things like, worrying is going to help me figure out the solution. That's what worrying is going to help me do. If you're a Michael, you say things like, you don't know that, okay? This is what it sounds like in my, in my house. I say to Kate something, she goes, you don't know that. And I go, well, you don't know what you think you know. And then if you're a Michael, you say things like, I'm crying because WebMD says I'm going to die. <laughs> All right? <laughs> so, yeah. So, see? So, everybody, this is a sermon for everybody. And this, I really want you to, to understand this, okay? Because the likelihood is that you are either a Michael or a Kate. And there's a high likelihood that if you're a married couple in the room, 
that one of you is a Michael, and that one of you is a Kate. We expect a ton of elbowing to be happening during the next two months because we're all one or the other. And the thing is, the thing that, that, that I, I want you to, to understand is that we are gonna talk about both points of view. So even in a way, this is almost a, a relationship series as well because you know if you're married, you know that this can be a real burden on your relationship, on your marriage. If, you, if you're related to somebody, if your folks are like this or if your child's like this, you know that that can be a burden on your relationship. And some of you even have a friend. You have a friend who struggles with this. You have a friend that goes through, and it, it's hard to have that friend. And so we, I, I fully recognize that, that this is tough. And for those of you in the room that are like Kate, uh, your struggle is struggling with us as we struggle. Amen? Right? I mean, we drive you crazy sometimes because our struggle, you struggle with struggling with us. And so I want to address both types uh, in the room. But, 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 but here's the thing. As we go through this series, I, I want you to know two things. First of all, we, I'm going to be going at this from the, the spiritual outlook on this, okay? I'm, I'm going to talk about this from the spiritual advantage point. But here's the thing. I know that, that anxiety and, and, and stuff like this, that, that it, it, it's not that simple, okay? And, it, and I want you to ha- put your doubts aside. At no point am I going to tell you you just need to pray this thing away and have more faith, okay? Because we all know it's much more complex than that, right? There's the mental side of it. There, there's the, the history, his personal history side of it. There's your experiences. There's the physical side of it. There's chemical imbalances. And then there is a spiritual component. There's, there's so much to this, and there's so many different degrees. Uh, I've read books on this before, but just to prepare for this sermon, I read three different books. And I mean, really, I mean, everybody deals with this at a different level. Some of you are full-blown Michaels. Some of you are full-blown Kates. Some of you, you're a Michael two days a week and the rest of the time you're okay. I mean, there's different degrees to this and it's a complicated bag of stuff. So I'm gonna come at this from the spiritual side of this and talk about it as practically as I possibly can. But just know, when I come at this from the spiritual side of this, it is probably at some point gonna trigger you, okay? It is going to trigger you because I'm gonna say something and you're gonna be like, you just make it sound so simple. But here's the second thing I want you to know. I am somebody that deals with anxiety. I am somebody who goes through this all the time. If there was one part that I hated about myself, it would be this part of myself. In 2019, I had my first panic attack. Kate and I were trying to figure out something. And Kate wasn't able to be the person who was able to say, it'll all work out, it'll all work out, it'll all work out. And I remember, I was standing in my kitchen, I was talking to her, and then all of a sudden, it was like I had a power cord in the back of my head, and somebody just yanked it out. And everything just went, and I fell backwards. And my wife had to catch me before my head hit the kitchen floor. I am a person who goes through anxiety. I have had dark thoughts. I have had times where I thought about taking my life. And I've gone through that. And a couple years ago, I finally faced it. 
I went and saw a counselor. I saw a counselor for six months. I see him about two to three times a year. I've been offered medication. I don't take medication. I take supplements. I've figured out ways to, to deal with it, to battle with it. So here's the second thing I want you to know. At the point in time that I trigger you and you think that preacher guy doesn't know what he's talking about, what does he know? I want you to know, I know. Because I live with it every single day. And let me tell you something I would never do. I would never preach something to you or teach you something that I hadn't already preached and taught to myself. And I would never teach you anything that I didn't believe was absolutely 100% from God and the truth. So if I trigger you, if you feel like, what does this guy know? Trust me, I know. Because I went through this, and I've been like this my entire life. And it's really, really hard. And man, I don't mean to scare anybody in the, in the room, but the scariest thing I've had to deal with as a parent is I see little signs and situations where it feels like Olivia is going to deal with this as well. And there have been so many times where I'm very, very protective of my child, and I don't air out my stuff in front of my children, but I see times where Olivia is like me. And I mean, whenever I started to notice it, it broke my heart. I remember I told Kate, she's like me. I told her that with tears in my eyes. Oh, junk. I gave it to my daughter. I passed it on. Like, why part of this genetic code did it have to be passed on to her? Did I do something wrong? Did I teach her how to be like this? I've seen that. And for that reason, so many times in my life, I have viewed my anxiety, I have viewed this part of myself as something that was broken, right? Those of you who deal with anxiety, who go through this, that's almost how we view it. There's something broken in me. There's something wrong with me. And for those of you who are like the Kates in the room, Part of how we feel about ourselves and feel about this is your response to it. Because how many times do you know somebody who's going through something that they're anxious about, that they're worried about, that they're stressing about, and what are our common sentences? What's wrong with you? Get yourself together. Dude, you're crazy. What are you talking about? When you say those types of things, here's how what we think to ourselves. Something's wrong with me. I'm not put together. Maybe I am crazy, right? When that's the world's response, when that's your response, even though it's something that you don't deal with and something you don't battle, that's what we hear. And so that's what we think about ourselves, that something is broken. And I can't tell you how many times I've just wanted this to go away, that I've wanted this part of myself to some, somehow be healed or taken away or, or, or fixed because it feels like something is broken, but here is something that I've learned over the last few years, and it's a principle that applies to so many different things. And the way that kind of helped me understand it is this. God created every emotion and sensation, did he not? I mean, God is our creator. God created us in his image, and he gave us, he put in us. Every emotion and sensation, and I really do believe this, that, that, that God gave us every emotion and sensation, and, and when in the right place, it's beautiful, it's lovely, 
it's, it's, it's good for us and it's good for others. It's, it's a tool. It's a superpower almost. And this could be applied to so many different things. Anger, right? I mean, some of you, you deal with anger and you're like, I just wish I was a less angry person. But think about it. Yes, on the wrong side, if this were, there was a pendulum of your emotions, on the wrong side, when it swings to the wrong thing, your anger, oh, it can be destructive, it can be harmful, it can be terrible, right? But if you think about anger, anger is really passion. It's caring about something to a degree that it makes incites excitement and action. And so, man, if you took that pendulum and you swung it to the other side, passion, that part that God put in you, that part that God put in you to care, it can be a good thing. Even lust, right? I mean, I don't know if you know this or not. God created sex, folks, okay? And he meant it for good. And he had a certain place for it. And it was a t- tool that was given to us for a certain reason. And here's the thing. When, when, it's, when it's on the right side, when the pendulum swings to the way that we're using it for God's intent, it's beautiful. It's awesome. It's great. But when it swings to the other side, yeah, it can be destructive. It can be harmful. It can be bad for your health. And so the thing is, with all of these different things, uh, lust, greed, anger, anxiety, here's something that we have to understand. For so long, I viewed this part of me that I struggled with where I had good days and I had bad days, is I've always viewed it as brokenness. And I pray, God, take it away from me. Or if I could take a pill that would just numb it, kill it, make me think different, I would love to do that. But here's the thing that I've learned is that this is not something that's supposed to just be taken away. This is not something that I just want to kill or I just want to numb. This is something that God gave me that when the pendulum is swung in the correct direction, when it's channeled, when it's embraced, when it's targeted in the right position, it's actually a good thing. It's actually a superpower. It's actually something that makes me a better person. I believe this Dr. Alice Boyce, when she wrote about this, she said when it comes to anxiety, we have to think about it as this. She said, although anxiety can sometimes seem like a flaw, it's actually an evolutionary advantage, a hypervigilant system that, used, that, that we use to pause and scan for potential threats. So think about this. If you're a person of anxiety, you actually, you are a you have an evolutionary advantage, okay? So the next time you, you get into a spat with your spouse or your family or your mom or dad and they're like, you are such an anxious mess. You're like, no, pastor says I'm an evolutionary advantage, okay? I have a superpower. But think about it, right? I mean, what she's saying, and she goes through this through chapters and chapters and chapters, it's a fascinating conversation because this, she says, this is something that we evolved with because we had, this is what we used to survive, And I thought about this, and my counselor talked to me about this. He said, Michael, I know you just would wish that God would just hit a switch and your anxiety would go away, but you have to understand, you have a superpower. You know why you're a good pastor? Do you know why you're a good leader? It's because you care so much and you have so much passion and you meticulously look at everything that you do. There's not a thing that you do, even if you're volunteering or if you're just doing it for a short time, you do it to your very best. And you look at how everybody's going to be involved. You look at the outcomes of things. You study people. You go, if that's there, this is what's going to happen. You look at all of that and you change things and you move things because you want everyone to have a good experience and you want everybody to be happy and you don't want any negative feedback or anything like that. And you're using it to help people and give people a good church experience. Why would we want to just turn that off? We don't want to just turn that off. We don't want to just shut that down. 
Because channeled in the right way, used in the right way, this is what makes you good at what you do. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. That's very good. And so here's the thing. When it comes to your anxiety, or when it comes to your friend's anxiety, or your partner's anxiety, it's not something that we want to just wish away, or just pray away, or just turn off. Because what if, what if, I want you to start thinking this way, I want you to start thinking about what if your anxiety or this part of you is actually there for a good reason? What if it's there to be a superpower? What if it's there to actually help in advancing the kingdom of God? What if it's actually there for your good and for the good of others? What if it's actually something that you could be thankful for? Now, the question is, is how? How, though? How do we make sure that this doesn't become my tormentor and instead it becomes a superpower that is in my tool belt? That, that is the question we are gonna try to answer today. So, to answer that question, we are going to look at the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, if you didn't know, was a hater of Christians. He actually never met Jesus in person. He learned about it secondhand afterwards from the first generation disciples. But he was a bounty hunter of Christians, and then he ended up converting and becoming a Christian, like so many Pharisees and so many teachers of the law did past the resurrection. So Paul, he becomes a follower of Jesus. They question him a lot, kind of send him on his own adventure, but he becomes the most influential church planner we've ever known. He travels all around the Mediterranean, planting churches, setting them up, teaching them about the gospel and what he's heard secondhand. And then he would travel and continue to travel, but then he would write them letters. They would need instructions or they would have a problem. And so he would write them these letters. And those letters are what make up a lot of your New Testament. He wasn't sitting down and writing books of the Bible. He was writing letters to Timothy. He was writing letters to Corinth. He was writing letters to Titus. And so he sits down and he writes these letters, and then later on, when Christianity was no longer uh, deemed uh, an evil political group, then all of these letters were put together, and they're like, wow, there's some really good theological teaching in here. There's some really good stuff that, that Paul unpacked here. We should put this in our Bible, and so that's why we have these. And so he writes this letter to Corinth. He actually wrote two. You know it is 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, right? And so he writes these letters, and there's something going on with Paul. We have no clue what it is. He has some kind of physical ailment, something that he just cannot get rid of, and he actually opens up to them and talks to them about it. So that's the scripture verse that we're going to look at today. So when we look at 2 Corinthians, this is what Paul says. He goes, therefore, and he just talked about all these different struggles that he's going through. In order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given. So he's going to unpack this for us. And he has some kind of physical element. Something's going on. And basically what he's saying, he's just, he's just kind of spitting here. And he goes, you know, my life would be so perfect, but I was given something. And when he says I was given, you notice he doesn't say God gave it to me. He doesn't say that. He didn't tell us who gave it to them. So we can't assume that he thinks that God gave him this. And I'm a big believer in this. If you stick around long enough, you'll hear me say this a million times. I'm not a person that says everything happens for a reason. I don't think that's biblical. I don't think that's theologically correct. I don't think everything happens for a reason. So I don't think Paul's saying God gave me this. He was just saying, I don't know, I got given this. 
This is what happened. This, this was given to me, and now I got it, and now I got to deal with. And when he is unpacking it with them, he's trying not to find a purpose. He's trying to give it a purpose. So he says, I was given. And he goes, what was I given? I was given a thorn. I was given a thorn in my flesh. The Greek that he uses here, if we took the Greek translation and and unpacked this, when he actually wrote it, what he was trying to say was that he said, I was given something that is just constantly irritating me. I mean, think about getting a splinter in your finger or or in your foot, but think if it was a thorn, right? Not something that's going to kill you, but just something that is constantly irritating. Like every single step I take, I'm reminded there's a thorn in my foot. It's irritating me, and it is constant. Then he says, a messenger, a messenger of Satan. Now, I love exegeting things and looking at the Greek, and there's the best, the best biblical view that I, I saw of this, the that, that, you know, best way to translate this verse when he wrote it in the Greek is what he's saying when he says a messenger from Satan is what he's trying to tell us is it hurts like hell. That's what he's saying. Literally, he's saying, and it hurts like hell. It hurts all the time. It is painful. And he says, and it was, it's there to torment me. And, and the, Greek, the Greek terminology that he uses when it says torment, it, me, it literally means to strike over and over and over again. Think of somebody being over you and just throwing punches and throwing punches and throwing punches. He's like, that's what it feels like. This, what I am going through right now, that is how it makes me feel. So he says, basically, if we took all of this and broke it down, he's saying it's constantly irritating, it hurts like hell, and boy, is it beating me up. Anybody's anxiety ever feel like that? Constantly irritating me? Like, the moment that I overcome being worried about one thing, what happens? I find a new thing. I find a new thing that feels weird on my body. I have to web MD something else. There's a new money situation. There's a new problem. There's a new family member. One of the kids has something different. One of them got over the flu. Now one of them has hand, foot, and mouth. Fantastic. Just constantly irritating me. And it hurts. It hurts like hell. It hurts physically. It hurts mentally. You lose sleep over it. I mean, it's just painful. And it just feels like it's constantly beating me up. So, if you can relate to that, well, then Paul's your guy, because that's exactly how he felt. He said it got so bad, he said three times, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Now, when it says times, it's not like three times in a day. Well, the Greek translation of that word times is actually seasons. So he's like, what he's telling us is there's three points in his life where this got so debilitating that he just dropped to his knees. And that word pleaded, it means that he just fell at the mercy of God and just begged God, God, please take this away. Man, I can't tell you how, it's been way more than three times that I have fallen to my knees and been like, God, take this away from me. I don't wanna feel like this anymore. I would love to go to sleep. Could you please shut this off? Because it's constantly irritating and it hurts like hell and it's beating me down. Now here's the thing. I don't know what your past experience is, 
I don't know if you used to go to church or you know some Christians or maybe your mama, your daddy, they're Christian. And I think when it comes to a lot of different things, but especially anxiety, worry, and doubt, how many times has somebody's spiritual, uh, spiritual um, idea of how to deal with this is this? Well, you just don't have enough faith, right? Well, you just need to pray harder, honey. Well, you just don't have enough faith. And man, when somebody who's a Christian tells you that, right, if that's their prescription is that you just need to pray harder and you just need to believe more and you just need to have enough faith and you're, you're just doubting God, man, that makes you feel about this small, right? I mean, you already thought you had a problem, but now you think, oh, now I have a problem with God too. Fantastic, great. So now I gotta have enough faith and maybe God will take care of this. I gotta have enough, I gotta pray enough or I gotta do enough to get in God's good graces to be able to have him fix this. And here's how I know that this is a bunch of baloney. It's because if it hinges on your faith of whether or not God acts on your behalf, if it hinges on your faith that God answers your prayers, then boy, oh boy, I don't know if we should be reading the words of Paul because if Paul didn't have enough faith, if that was the issue that three times he pleaded for God to take this away from him, but he just didn't have enough faith, well then we should not be reading the words of Paul. I don't think that was the issue because I'm pretty sure Paul had more faith than any of us, right? Yet, God didn't take it away, did he? So look, I believe God can perform miracles and God can do anything, but I don't believe that it hinges on your faith. And so don't, as a Christian, ever turn to somebody and tell them that they're just not praying enough or they're just not doing enough or they just don't have enough faith because it doesn't come down to faith. It didn't come down to faith when it came to Paul's constant irritant, his thorn that he had in his flesh. But instead, when he said he prayed, he said, three times I prayed for God to take this away. And he didn't. Instead, this is the answer that he got. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, so here's what I got from God. When it came to my thorn in my flesh, I got a no. God gave me a no but he gave me a promise. God said, I'm not gonna take this away, but don't worry, my grace is sufficient for you. Which, I don't know about you, but the first time I heard this, I thought, well, this is a bunch of malarkey. Thanks a lot, God. I would like this to be taken away from me. I would like my prayers to be answered. I would like to be healed. And you're like, all you need is my grace. Wow, thanks, Lord. But you know what I've understood? The older that I get, the more that I, that I struggle with this, what I understand. I don't know how you view God, but here's something that you need to understand about who God is. God is not a genie in a bottle. God is not a genie in a bottle that you just need to rub the right way. Where if you just pray the right way and you just do things the right way and you give enough to the church or whatever it may be or you go to Bible study enough or you, you do enough good things that if you just rub that genie the right way, God will give you whatever you want. That's prosperity gospel is what we call that. And I don't believe that to be true at all. I believe that God is always faithful. But that doesn't mean he always gives you what you want. 
And I think God looks at some of the things that we pray for, some of the situations. I think when we come to God with our anxiety and we're like, God, take this away from me. God goes, okay, 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 I see what you're going through and I get it and I understand and I feel you and I see you, but, but, but here's the thing. I think what God loves is a good story. I think God loves good stories. I think God loves good testimonies. Because you know what a good story does? You know what a good testimony does? It causes people to turn their attention and look and to lean in. So I think God looks at Paul and he goes, I, I know you want me to take it away. I know it's constantly irritating. It hurts like hell and it's beating you up. But let me, let me, let, let me do something different. Instead of taking this away from you, let me give you my grace. As you stumble through this, as you suffer through this, as you deal with this, let me show you grace. There's no, I don't expect you to be perfect. I know this is gonna be difficult for you, but let me give you my grace. And then when I give you my grace and you lean on me and you rely on me and you follow me, do you know what will happen? My power will rest on you. And let me tell you something, Paul. My power is made perfect in weakness. If I give you my grace and you lean on me and you rely on me through this, Paul, this thing that is in you, it was meant for your good. When it was put in you, when it was designed on you, it was to make you, to give you your best potential. And I know things happen in life and it can pull you all kinds of different ways and it can be irritating and it can be painful and, and it, can, it can torment you, but let me show you how to take charge of it. Let me show you how, how you can be your best self. Let me show you how to take this bull by the horns and how to ride it and how to make it your superpower. Because you know what would happen if I taught you how to do that? If you were transparent about this and everybody knew that you dealt with anxiety and everybody knew that you suffer through this and this torments you, but if then if they saw you being successful, then if they saw you managing your life well and doing things for the kingdom and doing things for the good of others and doing things for the good of yourself, they would look at you and they would say, my goodness, you're a person who deals with anxiety. How are you able to be happy? How are you able to be at peace? How are you able to be successful? How are you able to do all these things? I just don't understand it. And your only answer that you would be able to give was not a self-help book, was not a medication, was not I read a good podcast, but the answer you would be able to give is by the grace of God. And man, if I could get you there, Paul, you know what? I could heal this and I could take this away from you like that. But together, I think I can take what was meant to destroy you and I can use it for good. I think I can take what the enemy meant for evil and I can use it for your good. And at the end of this, when people are like, tell me your secret. Tell me how did you do it? How did you manage it so well? Your only answer will not be able to be by your strength, but by my strength. And Paul, it's in weakness that my power is made perfect. So then he continues on, and he goes, so, therefore, basically what he's saying is, so here's what I'm going to do. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. You know what he's saying? He's, saying, he's not saying I'm going to be proud of it. He's saying I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to hide it. 
I'm not going to lie about it. I'm not going to keep it a secret. I'm not going to pretend like it's not there. I'm going to face it. I'm going to face it, and I'm going to be honest about it. I'm going to be real about it, and I'm not going to deny that it is there. So I'm going to be transparent about it with everybody. And therefore, whenever I boast about it, so that way Christ's power will rest on me. See, here's the thing that we have to understand, and this comes to so many different things, but especially with mentally health, mental health stuff, and especially with anxiety. So many times we feel shame for it, and so what we do is we hide it. We lie about it. We pretend like it's not there. I mean, how many times, if you're an anxious person, how many times have somebody come up to you and they said, you look stressed. Are you stressed? And what's your answer? No, I'm fine, right? Which if you don't know what fine stands for, freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. That's from the Italian job, Mark Wahlberg, okay? But that's what fine means. I mean, you say you're fine. You say you're not stressed out. You said you're not worried about it. But where does that ever get you? Let me ask you, those of you who are anxious in the room, where has it ever gotten you to pretend like your anxiety is not there? When you are worried about something, where has it ever gotten you to not be transparent that you are worried, that you have doubts, that you feel insecure, that you are a bit fearful of what is going to happen next? Where has it ever gotten you? The answer is nowhere. Because it hasn't gotten rid of it, has it? And everybody can read it on you, everybody can see it on you, everybody can smell it on you. It hasn't gotten you anywhere. But what Paul is trying to tell us is that there is a secret equation here. And if Paul could say it in a more modern way, I think he would say this. Embracing your inability is a prerequisite to experiencing Christ's ability. You have to face it. You cannot hide from it. You cannot lie about it. You cannot pretend it is not there. You have to embrace your weakness. You have to embrace your inability and able to experience Christ's power in you. It's when you stop leaning on your own strength that you are able to find God's strength. And the truth is is that a lot of us, we hide from this problem. We lie about this problem. We do it in so many different ways. It's so easy to do, especially in a day and age of social media, right? I mean, we take pictures like we're fine. We take pictures of the family like we're fine. We act like we got it all together and everything's good and we put the filters on and we take the pictures and we choose the captions, but then in the background, we ain't fine and we're lonely and we're fearful and we're stressed, and we're anxious-filled. And and so many times, we we try to hide it, and we try to pretend it, and we tell ourselves, we try to even lie to ourselves, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. I can't tell you for how long I told that to myself when people said, you ought to go talk to somebody. My wife, for years, told me, I really think you need to go talk to somebody. I really think you need to see a counselor. And I kept telling her, no, I don't need to go see a counselor. I'm fine. I don't need to talk to anybody. I mean, do you know how that would look as a pastor if I went and saw a counselor? I'm the people, I'm the person people come to for counseling. How in the world, if the counselor is going to see a counselor, how am I a good counselor? That can't be, that can't be so. So I can't go see a counselor. 
I mean, people would think I was a fraud. So what do we do? We hide it and we lie to ourselves and we think, I don't need to go talk to anybody. I don't need to see anybody. I don't need any kind of help. I just need to do this. I just, I'll take care of it my way is what we say. I'll do it my way. I'll do it on my time and I'll do it by my strength. But let me tell you something. And maybe nobody's been honest enough to tell you this before. But from the outsider looking in, the person who knows you're not fine, the person who can see what you're going through, and the person who is struggling, struggling watching you struggle. Because your struggle is becoming my struggle because I'm having to deal with you when you're like this. Do you know what you are when you're just hiding and you're lying and you're not doing anything about it and you're relying on your own strength? and you're acting like everything is okay, and you're putting this perception to the world that everything is fine and rainbows, you know what you end up being? You're not strong, you're fake. And there's a lot of us who are faking it. And that doesn't make you stronger, it just makes you weaker. You're not strong until you admit that you are weak. And you can never find God's strength until you embrace your inability to deal with this on your own. But when you face it and you embrace it and you rely on God, do you know what's waiting for you? It's his grace. And it's his grace that gives us the power we need to manage this and to make this our superpower. It can be used for good. Now, for those of you in the room who don't deal with this, who are married to somebody like me, number one, I'm sorry. (laughs) But here's the thing. I know that for many married couples, this is a huge tension, right? It's hard to be married to somebody like me, right? The constant texts, the articles, right? The phone calls, the days where we're just sad for no reason, and you're like, what's wrong with you? The days where we're just unable to do or be who you want us to be, it's like you're you're married to somebody bipolar. It's like some days you're good, some days you're off, some days you're cranky, some days you're on top of the world, and you're like, man, when you're in your good place, when the pendulum swung on the good thing, you're like awesome. Like everybody wants to be around you, and you're amazing, and you're organized, and you are just the best. But my goodness, when the pendulum swings on the other side, oh, it's like I don't even want to be around you, right? But let me tell you something. In front of you, even though you don't have to deal with this personally yourself, in front of you is an opportunity to become more like God. Because if there is a prescription for you on how to deal with people like me, the answer would be the same. Grace. And let me tell you something. My wife and I, this is something that I hid for years that I kept to myself, that I never dealt with. And I'll never forget the moment that we started to unpack this stuff. We were watching a show on Netflix that addressed suicide and suicidal thoughts. And Kate was watching this and she was going, I hate this show. This is such a stupid show. 
She's like, who thinks this way? Why is this person believing what these things that aren't even real? She was just going through this, and she was just like looking at this main character who was dealing with anxiety and doubt and depression and all this stuff and having suicidal thoughts. And Kate was like, this is so dumb. Who lives this way? And I was sitting next to her, scared to death, because I identified with that main character on that show so much. And for the first time ever, I turned to my wife and I said, well, I, I do. And she goes, you have thoughts like that? You th-? I said, all the time, do you not? She goes, no, why would you? And it began to unpack this. And let me tell you something. Through the last year, few years where we have gone through this, my wife has shown me so much grace to the point where I'm having a bad day and she texts me, hey, how are you doing today? I can be open and honest and transparent with her and just say, you know, I'm just having one of my days where I'm just sad. And she's able to say to me, she doesn't try to fix me. She doesn't say that's baloney. She doesn't say that's crazy. She goes, I'm sorry, is there anything I can do for you? And usually the answer is no, but she is there for me and she supports me. And I have such a closer relationship with my wife because I have come out of hiding and I have been able to be transparent and open with her and honest with her and she has shown me nothing but grace. And let me tell you something, for those of you who don't deal with this, this is your opportunity to be like Christ to people like me, to love people and to love God, to literally love your neighbor as yourself, even though you have no clue what this is like. But let me tell you something too, the opposite can happen as well. Because if when we're like this or when the person you're related to or you're friends with or whatever, when they act the way they do and you are constantly meeting them with, well, stop worrying. What are you worried about? What's the worst that can happen? Nothing's gonna happen. You're, cra- you're overthinking it. You know what we hear whenever you go down that road? Shame. You make us feel shame. And you make us feel small. And let me tell you something. When a person feels shame they shut up and they stop talking. And so the moment you think like, well, see, we we dealt with it. They're not talking about it anymore. See, problem solved. Maybe you didn't actually solve the problem. Maybe actually what you did is you just pushed them into a closet. And now they're too afraid to talk to you about it because when they talk to you about it, they feel nothing but shame. That's the alternative, But Paul, he says, that's not the solution. The solution isn't to hide from it. The solution isn't to pretend like it's not there. He says, instead, I'm gonna boast about it. I'm gonna confront it. I'm gonna call it out. I'm gonna admit that it's there. And I'm gonna rely on Christ. And he says this, and that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, And then he says something so important, something that is hard to believe when you just read it, but when you have faith and you rely on God and you journey with God through it, you realize just how true this next statement is. He says, for when I am weak, then and only then I am strong. Here's what I want you to know. 
if you're anxious ridden, if you're an anxious person like me, it's not going away. It's not going away, though, because God doesn't want to. It's not going away because God's not able to. It's not going away because part of this is what makes you who you are. And when it's in balance, when it's in God's will, when it's directed and harnessed in the right way, this is what makes you good. This actually can be used for the good of others. This can actually be used to serve other people. There are so many people in our church. Some of our best leaders in this room are the people who are meticulous, <laughs> the people who think of every detail, the th- people who want it to be at its best, the people who don't just look at things and events and go, it'll, it'll be fine, it'll work out. But those of us who are like, no, we're gonna like make sure it is good, it is awesome, it is the way it should be. We're gonna give it the, 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 the purpose that it needs. We're, we're gonna make sure that this is good for everybody. It's those people, man, when you are on that cruise and it, you are at your best, oh, it's so good. So it can be your superpower. But the only way to make that, the only way to see that strength is by embracing your inability. Because embracing your inability is a prerequisite to experiencing Christ's ability. I'm gonna invite the band to come back up and we're gonna sing a song that Ashley has sang before that I really, really love. And as we go through this series, I wanted to just start here because I just want you to change the way you think about your anxiety. When you think about that stress, I know it's something you wanna just turn off, I know it's something you wanna just ignore, but you can't. And for those of you who have been like me, who have just felt like something is so broken in you, I know that feeling. But you're not, you're not broken. You just need help but you cannot do it on your own. You cannot do it on your own strength. You do need counselors. Sometimes you do need medication, but you also need the Lord. Christ is willing to help you through this too. Your church family is willing to help you through this too. You cannot do this on your own. So embrace your inability. It's a prerequisite to finding what God can do in you and through you. And I love this song that the band's gonna sing because it's almost like a prayer. Giving God permission to do what he needs to in my heart, in my mind, in my life. I love the words, would you just be a gardener of my heart and tend the soil. Remove what you need to remove and and prune what you need to prune. Do that work in me, Lord. So I want you to stand with me this morning, and I want to pray for you. And then this song is going to be our prayer this morning. Father God, would you be the gardener of my heart? Would you tend this soil? Would you prune what needs to be pruned? God, would I this morning be willing to face my inability? And I know that's scary. I know it's hard to admit. I know it's hard to face. But would I be able to do that, God? And believe and have faith this morning that when I do that, your response to me was that, will be that you show me your grace. God, show us your grace this morning. And then would your power be seen in me 
in the midst of my weakness. And at the end of this, when my life is nothing more than a story to tell, would the story be, I know they were a person that dealed with anxiety. I know they were a person who worried. I know they were a person who doubted. So how were they able to, would the answer be, would the story be told that it was only by the grace of God? 